All right, before we move into our time of prayer and meditation, I have just a general um, bit of information I want to share. And that is that during our um, hosting of the AGNT Symposium on Engaged Spirituality, which will be taking place the 24th of October through the 27th here at the Unity Center, one of the beautiful things that will be happening is we will be receiving a peace pole that we will have planted, installed in, on our patio. It will have 16 different languages on it. And one of the original um, family members of the founding organization that created these peace poles is going to be one of our featured speakers during the symposium. And she and her daughters are going to help to uh, help us dedicate that peace pole. What we would like to do to make it quite special is to have the words, may peace prevail on earth, be spoken and recorded in advance for all of the languages that we're going to have on the peace pole. So I'm about to read 16 different languages. If you speak any of those 16 languages, and would be willing to come in for a quick recording of May Peace Prevail on Earth in that language, would you please see Terry after um, service today and just give her your name and your contact information. Most of these languages were picked based on the numbers of people around the planet that speak them, okay? There are a few exceptions here, but most of them were, were selected that way. Arabic, English, Nobody needs to tell me you speak English. <laughs> French, German, Hindi, Italian, Korean, Navajo, Portuguese, Russian, Spanish, Swahili, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, and Turkish. So if you speak any of those languages, would you and would be willing to help us in that way, please see Terry and we'll deal with all the logistics later on. It should be a beautiful way of just dedicating our peace poem. So now we're going to establish a time of prayer and meditation together, experience that, that beautiful gift, really, of meditating in community. Do make sure that your cell phones are turned off so they don't go on while we're meditating. We'll start with chanting as we always do. We'll be practicing mindful breathing throughout the chant and throughout the various segments of the meditation. We'll do a little bit of a heart math training, which is about focusing in the area of the heart and holding a positive emotion. And I'll take you through that at the right time. And then we'll spend some time together in complete silence. If you are new or relatively new to meditation, be especially patient with yourself. It is not at all unusual for the mind to just wander all over the place. And if you notice that, be grateful that you noticed that your mind was wandering and then just coax it right back to the very next breath. So go ahead and find a comfortable position in your chair. Let your feet rest flat on the floor, your hands easily and comfortably in your lap, your back nice and straight. And close your eyes when you're ready to. And then take a nice deep breath in. And as you let that breath go, practice the feeling of letting go. Another nice deep 
breath in. And as you let that breath go, practice the feeling of being right here. Another nice deep breath in. And as you let that breath go, practice the feeling of opening up. So go ahead and continue with that practice, aware of each breath in, aware of each breath out, letting go, being here, opening up, letting go, being here, opening up.
And so continue to move into this space and practice of mindfulness. Aware of each breath that is taken into the body temple. Aware of each breath that you release and let go. quiet and peaceful. Open and receptive. Direct your attention to the area of the heart, the center of your chest. As you imagine each mindful breath moving in and through the heart, peaceful and easy. 
with heart-focused attention, begin to practice consciously holding a positive emotion. You might select joy or compassion, maybe love, appreciation. So with each breath in and each breath out, experience that quality as if your entire being is filled with that quality, so much so that it overflows. And continue that practice for a few minutes now in complete silence, gentle and patient with yourself, should you find that your attention has wandered a bit. Gently guide your attention back to the breath, to the heart, and to the feeling. To the breath, to the heart, and to the feeling in the silence.
Notice the music as it begins to fill the room, letting us know that it's time to bring our meditation to a close, pausing for a moment just to feel grateful to be in stillness and peace and quiet for a few minutes among our spiritual family and friends. And then go ahead and take a nice deep breath in and let that breath go, maybe even with an audible sigh. And another nice deep breath in. And let that breath go and anything else that you might still need to release and then go ahead and open your eyes when you feel ready. And move around in your chair a little bit. And maybe turn to the person next to you and just say namaste. Namaste. The divine in me recognizes and acknowledges and salutes the divine in you. I hope that tune and those words kind of stay with you throughout the day. A good, good mantra. Terry leaned over to me at the exact moment I was having the same thought and said, doesn't that sound like a James Bond movie? So <laughs> there was one of them that sounded kind of like that, right? That just builds that way. I am open to receive. Well, we are going to be talking about what helps us to be open to receive. You know, it's not enough to simply be open to receive in order to experience our greater good. And as I said a moment ago, we're starting a seven-part series that falls under the umbrella theme of being the flow of God's great good. Say that with me. Being the flow of God's great good. Each of those words is important. The word being as contrasted to doing. We're not talking just about doing. We're talking about embodiment. Being the flow of God's great good. That word flow is a really important word. We contrast that sometimes with the idea of struggle, right, or resistance. I came across a statement the other day that just made me chuckle, chuckle and it was simply this. If struggling were the way to get there, we'd all be there by now. Can you relate to that? If struggling were the way to get there, we'd all be there by now. So being the flow of God's great good. One of my favorite statements of Jesus is a statement he made when he said, I came that you should have life and have it abundantly. I came that you should have life and have it abundantly. He was not talking only about stuff. To have life abundant is more than just stuff. It can certainly include the things that we would like and certainly the things that we need. But to have life abundantly hits on all levels of our being. It hits on the level of our physicality. To have a healthy body, vibrant, energy is an aspect of an abundant life. To have a mind that is creative, to have work that is meaningful to do, is part of an abundant life. To have rich and meaningful relationships is a part of an abundant life. 
and to be able to have that which brings joy into our life and living is certainly an aspect of an abundant life. I came that you should have life and have it abundantly. And so we want to try to flip during these seven weeks some of the energy that sometimes we bring into the way we try to bring things about in our lives. I know that I fall prey to and am guilty of resisting sometimes and struggling and grasping and trying to force and make things happen. And I know that that is not the most joyful way to be and the most beautiful and, and meaningful way to be. I want to learn better how to be the flow of God's great good and to have as much great good in my life on every measurable and unmeasurable way as is possible, not solely for myself, but to be able to share because the more that I have, the more I can share from. Now, it does not mean that I wait to share until I have more. I start right where I am. But to be giving what is mine to give, to have what comes to me increase so that I can then give more from that is something that's really inspiring to me. And I bet if you really touch in with yourself, you'd have to nod in agreement with that as well. There are a lot of people who are struggling today on a lot of different levels, and certainly financially is one of those areas, and certainly in the area of healing and of relationships. Unity as a teaching and a movement has a long history in its practicality. The Fillmores, who founded the Unity Movement in the late 1800s, first referred to our teaching as practical Christianity. They wanted to help people create better, more successful lives, health of body, good relationships, abundance, and they wanted and knew it had to be done practically and from a spiritual launching pad. How many of you are familiar with the teacher? She's a prosperity teacher. Her name is Edwin Gaines. Raise your hand. That's only a few of you. I, I want to encourage you, and we do not have this in the bookstore, but you, we will next week, and you can get it online. Edwin's book, The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity. I'm at a place in my life right now, and I've just noticed this in the last month or so, of really wanting to go back to some of the basic things that I have done in my life for years and years and years, spiritual things, and look at them through fresh eyes and even deepen my commitment and practice of those things. The practices of forgiveness, the practices of gratitude, the practice of service, and the practice of giving. And that's what we're going to start with today, the practice of giving, inspired giving. Well, I have a confession to make, and the confession is this. I'm really not going to talk specifically about no, I shouldn't say that. I am going to be talking about inspired giving. But a much more accurate way of telling you what I'm going to talk about is to say we're going to talk about a hot-button topic called tithing. Okay, so say it with me. Tithing. And I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you how it works. I'll do my best to explain why it works and why you ought to give it some thought. Now, there's a technique that Edwin Gaines, she was actually in ministerial school the year before I was, so we shared one year when we were both on campus together, and I got to know her, her pretty well. 
And even back then, she would use this technique when she was teaching something that she knew people might be a little bit uncomfortable with. She'd say, look at your neighbor and gently poke them and say, now don't go unconscious on me. So go ahead, look at your neighbor, because we're going to talk about some tough stuff. Don't go unconscious on me. A couple of other things as we get into the subject of tithing. And I gotta give, I've got to confess here as well. I've got to confess here as well. I and my husband John have practiced the principle of tithing for decades now. And it is a practice that we would not think of giving up. It is something we love to do. But I have not yet gotten to the place as a, as a minister that I love to talk to you about it because it makes me uncomfortable. And so if you think you're uncomfortable, I'm probably more uncomfortable than you are. So breathe with me because I need to breathe. I came across a funny little story of a seminarian who wanted to get some life work experience before um, actually going full bore into ministry. And so he decided to sign up and take some classes at the police academy. And the trainer at the police academy gave them an assignment and asked the question, what's the quickest way? How do you empty a room really fast if you need to get people out of a room? And the seminarian said, you talk to them about tithing. So Phil closed the doors. (laughs) You talk to them about tithing. So what is tithing? Three things about tithing. Tithing is a spiritual practice. And it is a spiritual practice of giving 10% of all that one receives financially to wherever one is spiritually nurtured and fed. And we'll go into that part of spiritual um, nourishment and feeding a little more deeply in, in a moment. So number one, it is the practice of giving off the top first, 10% of all one receives to wherever one is spiritually nurtured or fed. Second, you might ask, why 10%? I can't give you too many definite answers as to why 10%. I know that 10% is what is spoken of and written about in the Bible. If you go to Malachi 3.10, which is the verse most often used that describes what tithing is and why to tithe, the, um, the number one-tenth or 10% is clearly articulated there. And it is in that verse, it's the only time that we are told that we should be testing God by this practice of tithing. And the test being that as we give back to wherever we are spiritually nurtured and fed, that we can expect our life to be blessed and work better on all levels, on all levels. I like what Edwin suggests as the reason that maybe the reason it's 10% is God might have figured that too many of us might have a challenge with math. (laughs) And that if he gave a number like 7.67%, it might be kind of hard to figure. So maybe it's something as silly as that. Who knows why? But there is something about the magic of 10 and the idea of multiplying. And the third is oftentimes people will say, well, can't I tithe of my service instead of my money? And the answer is no, they're not the same thing. It does not mean that we do not tithe of our time and our service. We teach that 
That is a practice that we teach. We teach that part of our spiritual journey is about giving of our time and our talents, our service, to someone or something to make the world a better place. But that is not the same thing, and it is not in place of giving of our financial resources to wherever we are spiritually fed. And the reason that the two are different is whenever we are tithing of our, our financial resources, what we are doing is we are beginning to spiritualize and heal. These are important words. To spiritualize and heal our relationship with money. A lot of the reason that people have the financial challenges that they have in their lives and don't feel like they're living an abundant life, don't feel like they ever have enough that is always a struggle financially, has to do with their relationship with money to begin with. And absolutely one of the best, most effective ways to begin to heal that relationship is through a systematic practice of putting God first in our finances, just as we should be putting God first in every other area of our life. Now, there's a couple of reasons, probably many more than a couple, that we go, hey, you know, why, why did I come to church today? I didn't really think she was going to be talking about this. First of all, when was the last time you even heard me give a talk on tithing? So some of you will say never, that's true, but that's not quite true. It's been a long time, a very long time. And the truth of the matter is my own fear about how you might receive it has caused, in a way, a disservice on my part to you. Because I'm not going to try to manipulate you, shame you, or guilt you to do this. First of all, that's not who I am. And that would not serve you. And this teaching truly is about something that can serve you, which leads us into one of the two things that I want to talk about in terms of why people oftentimes resist it. And one of the very real reasons is the religious baggage that we have with it, because those who have many who were taught the practice of tithing, it was usually presented from a place of guilt. You have to do this. You should do this in the scripture. That's why you're supposed to do it. You've got to tithe to your church, and you were made to feel bad if you didn't. You were made to feel bad if you didn't. The point is that tithing is not what it does for the church because here, and please do this to your neighbor and to yourself or yourself. Don't go unconscious. Don't go, say it together. Don't go unconscious. Don't go unconscious. The spiritual practice, the spiritual practice of tithing puts, it says we are to tithe to where we are spiritually nurtured and fed. That might be a church. It might even be this church. I certainly hope we spiritually feed you or I wonder why you would be here. But it's not that you tithe here. It's that you need to get clear where are you spiritually nurtured and fed. It could be from a book that you've read that you say, oh my gosh, these teachings, this idea has hit me at such an important time in my life that as I have begun to learn these concepts and use them in my life, I understand who I am as a spiritual being. I'm beginning to understand that I am loved by God, that I have a place to, to serve and to make a difference. 
You might tie it then to the author of that book. You might say, well, I believe in X charity over here, and I believe in the good work that this organization is doing over here, and I, I really feel a heart pull to that. Is that a tithe? Not necessarily. Only if you can honestly say that's where you are spiritually nurtured and fed. Spiritual food, spiritual food is what inspires you, lifts you up, and helps you remember who you are as a spiritual being. That's the criteria by which your tithing ought to be done. Not, you don't give to lack, you don't give to need. Edwin does a beautiful job, much more than I can do in, in 25 minutes talk, in really explaining more of the levels of what we do and why. So we've got to get past the re religious baggage, and I think the best way to really get past that is to realize that it is you who decide based on where you are nurtured and fed, where you put that tithe. The second, and this is perhaps even the bigger of the two in terms of reasons that we don't tithe, is that we're afraid to. We're afraid that if we tithe, we're not going to have enough. And that, somebody once said, how you do money is how you do your life. Write that down. And I, I just invite you to, to take that in over this next week and really examine that. How I do money is how I do my life. Do I hoard out of fear? Am I constricted? It can be insightful if you're willing to, to do some deep examination of that. But it goes to our belief in lack and our fear, our feeling of scarcity. And yet, the truth of the matter is, whether it's in our pockets or in our relationships or our well, physical well-being, we do live in an abundant universe. We absolutely live in an abundant and rich and opulent universe. And if you look into your life and say, but somehow I just never seem to have enough and I don't experience that, I would challenge you to ask yourself, do you really think that by continuing to do it exactly the way you always have, that it's suddenly going to change? I would say, no, it's not. That what is the definition of insanity? To keep doing the same thing you've always done the same way and yet expecting different results. There are so many inspirational quotes in the Bible and in other sacred literature that talks about as we give, so we receive, that we live in an abundant universe, that it is the Father's good pleasure, Jesus' words, to give us the kingdom. I came across a piece written by Bernard, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Leiter, I think. He is a co-designer of a single European currency system. He studied and operated in the international currency system for decades, and in his book, The Future of Money, he writes this, if a society is afraid of scarcity, it will actually create an environment in which it manifests well-grounded reasons to live in fear of scarcity. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. We must break that trance. Tithing is one of the most 
effective ways to begin to break that trance. I remember when John and I, I'll be very personal here with you, when John and I were struggling because we knew we were doing a good job of practicing all of the other spiritual practices, but we really weren't tithing. And we began to have some conversations around that and feeling, as maybe some of you do, gosh, you know, I, I, there's something inside of me, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense to my head, there's something inside of me that says, I really need to examine this. I really need to be willing to give this a try. And as we were dealing with some of our own concerns and fears about that, I can't remember what teacher or what book had this line in it, but it really struck our heart. And it was the line... 90% with God will always be more than 100% without God. 90% with God will always be more than 100% without God. Whether it means that because you've put that 10% to wherever you are nurtured and fed spiritually, that suddenly things don't break down and you don't have doctor's bills or repairs or stuff like that, or suddenly new opportunities come, Somehow, 90% with God is always more than 100% without. So we've examined, as Edwin Gaines would say, the big frog. She had an uncle who, who used to say to her, Edwin, if you have to eat a frog, don't look at it too long before you swallow it. And if you have to eat a jar of frogs, eat the big one first. I had said to Terry, I so wanted to have a frog up here that I would just toss out. And I thought, oh, no, that, I could just see this frog jumping all around the sanctuary because that's really what tithing is for, for a lot of us as we even begin to ask ourselves, gosh, okay, so I live in an abundant universe. So Jesus and others have said things like, I have come that you should have life and have it abundantly. How come that's not so for me? And what do I need to be thinking about differently? And, and am I willing to take a step in that direction? So as I begin to close, I want to give you um, a step up into tithing. If there's a part of you that's going, you know, I really think I need to give this a try. But let me tell you, if you're going to give it a try, treat it the same way that you would give a try working with a physical trainer in the gym. You would not, after one week of working with that physical trainer doing what that physical trainer told you to do, you would not after one week go, oh, it's not working. I don't look like the magazine covers. I haven't dropped 15 pounds. I can't lift weights and I can't run a marathon. It's just not working. You wouldn't do that, right? Right. Same thing with this practice. You've got to give it a good six months. And you can't do it mechanically. It's not just doing it. You've got to do it and do it every time you do it with faith. You and I choose what we're going to put our faith in. So if you're going to start tithing to wherever you are spiritually nurtured and fed, as you write those checks or do whatever you're going to do around that, you do it consciously. You do not fall asleep. You, you sit with that check and that pen, even if your hand's doing this, and you practice feeling gratitude. You practice feeling faith in that experience. And over time, you're going to be changing from the inside out. Your relationship to money, to finances, is going to fundamentally shift and it will heal. So the step up is proportionate giving. And we're going to end with just a few words about this. Proportionate giving. Say that with me. Proportionate giving. Move around a little bit. You look like 
you're still here. You haven't bolted, but proportionate giving. Proportionate giving is a decision to say, all right, Edwin would not teach this, but I believe there's value in it, and it is where and how John and I began. We just couldn't figure out how we could have enough faith to take that first step right into tithing. So we began for several years, and ours was 5%. But you pick a percent then that's less than the 10%. You don't call it tithing because it's not. It's proportionate giving. And everything that comes into your resources, you look at and you say, what's the percentage of that? And you give that to where you are spiritually nourished and fed. And you start keeping a journal, not just of what you're giving out, but you start keeping a journal of what are some of the opportunities that are starting to come your way? What's some of the good that suddenly starts to happen? You get a rebate check or you get something totally unexpected. Don't just go, oh, that's coincidence. Look at that and go, wow, okay, hmm, I'm going to tithe on that. I'm going to tithe on that. And if you want to do something even, I think this can be fun, something called proportionate giving plus. And that would be where you pick a percentage and you, you use that percentage on everything that comes in. But the plus part is anything unexpected that rebate check that comes to you from Costco or whatever, you go, okay, on that, I'm going to do 10%. So I've given you some things to do, and I know that they may not have been easy to swallow, and I hope you don't use that as an excuse to not come back next week, because trust me, this was the biggest frog, and it'll be a while before I talk about this subject again. But I am very willing to, to answer questions and to share with you personally in whatever way I can because it is a principle and it is a practice that can really heal, heal your relationship with money. And that has value because it begins to let you feel much more free about so many other things in your life. To be able to enjoy things, to not have such a feeling of fear, and to go back to what the title of this series is, which is Being the Flow of God's Great good. Remember, if struggling were the way to get there, we'd all be there by now. Namaste.